Welcome to the second podcast episode of Psychology Month, where we're highlighting the efforts of psychology students working outside the classroom to affect positive change in our society. My name is Eric Bowman. I'm the communications person at the Canadian Psychological Association, and this is Mindful. One of the things I wrestle with a lot as the host of this podcast and in my general life is a certain kind of balance, right? We want to move the conversation on social justice forward and in doing so center the stories and opinions of the marginalized people most affected by systemic injustice. At the same time, we don't want to force those people to do all the heavy lifting to have the added burden of explaining that injustice to the rest of us. Two students at the University of Alberta have found what I think is an ingenious way of centering the stories that matter without creating an undue burden on the storytellers. In doing so, they've started a movement that's grown in incredible ways over the past year and a half. Let's meet them now. Hi, my name is Nancy. I am a fourth year psychology major and biological sciences minor at the University of Alberta. And I'm very excited to be on this podcast. I've been a member with the CPA for the past three years, and I've also been a part of their student representative group. Hello, my name is Priscilla Ojamu. I'm going into my fourth year of a Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology, also minoring in sociology at the University of Alberta. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of Canada Confesses. Also excited to be on this podcast as well. Just before we start, I saw on your website that you're recruiting volunteers. Are you still recruiting volunteers? Do you want more people to sign up and volunteer for the uh, for the program? For sure. Absolutely. We are recruiting volunteers just to be specific to join our team for the next term. So let's just start by talking about Canada Confesses. My understanding is it started in December of 2020. It's been around for a little over uh, a year and a half. And what was the genesis of it? What made you guys start this? What gave you the idea? Back in October 2020, 2020, pre-pandemic, we actually were a part of on-site placements, diversity awareness, and skill-building youth program. This is actually where Priscilla and I met. Um, Through that program, we learned a lot from different minority groups, and we learned about different issues in diversity awareness, and we were able to kind of build this kind of bank of knowledge. And at the end of the program, we needed to create a project kind of reflecting on the skills that we learned. And so Priscilla was like, what can we do online since it's the pandemic where we can have an opportunity to create a project and showcase this knowledge that we learned to other people. And I'll pass it to Priscilla to talk about the thought process behind Canada Confessions. So like Nancy mentioned, it was during the height of the pandemic and completely virtual, which means we're restricted to virtual tools. The program that birthed this whole idea was also virtual. Um, We never met in person until probably like this year around that time. So the whole idea of Canada Confesses, as we saw during uh, COVID-19, it quite increased the awareness of a lot of issues around us. It brought to our awareness as well as gave us this understanding that, you know, a lot of Canadians aren't aware that these issues exist and they try and in huge numbers within Canada. And there was this disconnect between like our lived reality, like our experiences, 
what we learned about in the program, what we talked about with other community members that weren't reflected when we shared this with our you know, fellow Canadian peers and classmates and had these discussions. And through this, we realized we could create a not, you know, a virtual platform where people could share their experiences in this space. And from that on, you know, they could, they could receive resources. So we also connected with a variety of organizations um, through the program as well as on our own. And we found that a lot of these resources weren't centralized. So we could bring them in this space, connect them with confessions and those who were sharing their stories to provide and hopefully create meaningful change, um, especially at a time where people were, you know, more motivated to act. So Canada Confesses just came to, you know, serve this need and fill in those gaps and also connect with more organizations, resources, tools to hopefully, you know, provide a space that can create change. And you said it was during a time where people were really motivated to act. And I think that in December of 2020, the pandemic was still fairly new. People certainly were. Uh, but there's been a lot of talk about how that motivation to act has lessened over time. Have you found that with your project, that it's more difficult to get people involved now? Or uh, is it you're a year and a half in now? Has it been working in a totally different way? Are people more motivated now than they were then? I think as our project has grown, we've certainly met a lot more people who were interested in participating in something like this. You know, at the same time, as we started going back in person and doing regular things, you know, there's, I think people just are a little bit more busy, but I think people still have the same drive and motivation to do the things that they were doing before. And so how does it work? Just the nuts and bolts of it. I go to the Canada Confesses website. And what do I do when I get there? How can I become involved in this project? When you visit our website, you'll see our origin story. You'll see our missions and values. You'll see just a whole bunch of other organizations that are kind of doing the same thing that we're doing. We kind of act as a hub towards all those different causes. And when you visit our website, feel free to browse around, look at our resource database, see what other people have created in the past and are creating. Um, you'll have a chance also to submit to our Voices of Canada or submit a confession, which entails just an experience of discrimination or our Voices of Canada, which is a way for people to creatively express uh, instances of social empowerment. And you're also welcome to see our social media, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and just interact with us online. Terrific. I will put your uh, social media handles in the show notes here. So uh, people who are listening to this right now can go to the show notes and follow Canada Confesses on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, why Canada Confesses? What made you decide on that name specifically? So Canada Confesses, we've had a lot of talks with a lot of our community members, even with our volunteers, on why exactly we chose this name. So I'm really glad you asked this question as it gives us a, a space to you know, really clarify something. So first of all, we use confessions and the concepts of you know, Canada Confesses as a way to imply that there is something wrong, you know, there's our darker underbelly within Canadian multiculturalism, within Canadian politics, within Canadian social issues. So us using the term confesses is not to imply guilt on whoever is sharing their experiences, but as a way to imply guilt on the system, on systemic racism, on systemic discrimination that creates space for people to experience distance. And, you know, as psychology students, we 
started to see, okay, what would this term mean on various things? And what exactly are we trying to accomplish um, using this phrase and attaching it to Canada? So there are a lot of recent issues, I'm sure if you check the news, that people are really, really, they're really motivated. They're, they have a lot of passions and things that they're um, like willing to act on. And just through this, we see that there's long and the history of Canada isn't as nice or it's not coded with this perfect history that we often like to think it is. So we use in Canada Confesses as a way to be intentional about where the confession is being placed on. It's a way to share people's experiences and connect them with how, you know, sometimes the system often fails them, how often interactions often fail them. So I guess as a nutshell, Canada Confesses is just confessing, you know, a lot of injustice, a lot of discrimination that we often see and, you know, bring them to the limelight. So sharing this and, and saying this is something that, you know, people experience. And where did this guilt fall on? Where does this blame fall on? And what can we do to hopefully, you know, mediate these issues and provide sustainable solutions? So when somebody comes to the website and shares their experience of discrimination in Canada, they are not the one confessing. It is, in fact, Canada as a whole that is making this confession that we have systems that contribute to this discrimination. Is that That's essentially what I'm getting out of this, right? I think yes. that's great. That's uh, That makes good sense. And what kind of uptake have you had? At, at first, I'm guessing you had to uh, reach out to people in your immediate circle. But over time, how has that grown? Yeah, at the beginning, it was a little bit slow, you know, as new projects go. And over time, we've seen that we've received a consistent amount of confessions. And we're very happy about that because um, the confessions that we have, we don't just post the confessions, we also post resources and information about what issue is being targeted here. And so we think that is but more beneficial online. So people can read about it, participate, volunteer, or act accordingly. And you guys have more than 60 resources that you've shared on your page. Uh, you've got an enormous bank of resources uh, that you're uh, sharing with the people who come to the uh, page looking for them. How many of those would you say you're actually partnered with that you uh, are doing this in collaboration uh, with other resources in Alberta and outside Alberta? So we have partnered actually with over 30 organizations. And just to clarify, like our resource database, like the newly launched version expands over 600, like within Canada and even more internationally. So it's quite a lot, but there are like at least, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Nancy, out of all of these resources, think about like 150 specific organizations, probably even more. So a good portion of that, we connect with them first, you know, before sharing their resource on our database. And we also seek to form, you know, long lasting partnerships. We have like an affiliate newsletter that goes out. We update them of what kind of confessors is doing, what exactly we're using those resources to do. And we're in the works right now, we have a specific resource newsletter that would also have like monthly themes and also connect those organizations with our you know, audience, community members, project participants, whatever term you want to use. And so we hope that this would bridge the gap 
and create more ways to find resources. And that's apart from the general confessions that we provide resources for. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is now an enormous database and I'm guessing it didn't start out that way. Uh, I mean, at some point, do you cap it? Do you say like, that's too many resources is too overwhelming when I go to that page? Or do you just keep adding on as as more and more groups come in? Is there a vetting process for all of these uh, other organizations uh, that you're toward which you're directing people? I would say there is like we have a cutoff process. In fact, our we have a specific team within our volunteer portfolio that works with this, the resources team. And they're led by our awesome director, Bree, and her co-director, Mackenzie. And they both work together to, you know, curate more resources. After the launch, we decided, okay, so, you know, we have this huge database collection. So then we started to fill in the gaps within those resources. So we started to look at resources in locations we don't have a lot of, you know, the territories, even some other provinces, there's just like for sure there's a huge number in Ontario, Alberta, as you can guess, British Columbia, but the rest, there's just really sparse. And then we started to look at the categories. So we have over 30 resource categories and we're always expanding, always refining them to include more based on, you know, needs of people and also current events because they also impact those resources as well. So we're filling those gaps to see what categories can be refined, to see what we could create more. And I mean, those resources also come volunteer opportunities. So they're kind of like the action item aspect with those for those who are filled, you know, who are pulled to act and pulled to create change within their own like local community, within their schools, churches, whatever. And so I feel that the process that we have right now is to keep expanding, yes, but also to look at the gaps. And also hopefully to survey like our project participants who use those resources and ask them what else they would like to see, how else can it like, you know, benefit them. And of course, doing like regular check-ins, ensuring that the links work, ensuring that people can actually benefit from those resources. So they go through a lot of process to even to be added to that database, they have to follow a huge checklist. And our resource director, she's very strict and always ensuring our resource creators like follow that checklist. If it's not, if it doesn't meet the checklist standards, it doesn't get put up on the website. So I, I mean, she would probably provide like a better overview of how it works. But from our perspective, I think you know, that's the purpose of it right now. So you have uh, somebody who's taking care of that. You have people in all kinds of different positions. You have a board of directors now. You're recruiting volunteers for a number of different things. From what I understand, this started out as just the two of you, right? You yes. started this thing and now it's, ex- what's that been like? Just this expanded process where more and more people are involved, taking on more responsibility, more volunteers are being recruited. I mean, just setting up a board of directors in itself seems like a, an immense task uh, to undertake. Oh, I don't even know where to start. It's been such a process. You know, we've had like so many ideas and so many things we wanted to do. And just throughout the months, even weeks as we were starting out, it was all about refining everything and planning. We did a lot of planning for this. And, you know, after we figured out exactly what we wanted, we said, okay, we needed we needed help to do it. And so that's when we started recruiting volunteers. And at the beginning, we had like one and then two and then five. It would kind of just kind of snowballed a little bit. And, you know, some of the volunteers from the beginning are still here. And it's just been a crazy experience because, you know, navigating online and, you know, myself personally, I've never done a project like this before. So just kind of learning all the basics as we go along. 
it's just been an experience for me. Yeah, you described perfectly the experience. It's just, oh, at first it's nerve wracking. I remember telling you like when we started like, oh, should we limit the age demographic? I feel so shy speaking to like seniors and elders and people younger than me, but we didn't. We opened it to every person, like in every diverse category within Canada. And, you know, we pulled out this call for help. We would love volunteers, you know, assist us in a variety of portfolios. And, you know, surprising to our knowledge, like they joined and they were so willing and so pulled to act is honestly quite amazing. So, yeah, the structure of the team many ways is, you know, the board of directors at large and the director of portfolios. And within them, and as you mentioned, we're recruiting volunteers. So we're actually in this restructuring process because we have almost 60 volunteers now. And, you know, it's just the two of us. And now it's 60. So we decided we have to restructure. We have to ensure that, you know, our system completely volunteer run still works just as, you know, any normal organization would. So ensuring our volunteers have like efficient structures, procedures, everything's well organized. They have a specific term, all of that. It is a bunch of work for sure. But I feel like we also learned, you know, on the job, like just doing, practicing, trying new things, never being afraid to fail and also welcoming our successes as they come and listening. So we like use, you know, like get feedback from the volunteers in order to create like a better system and in order to like expand because we do need help from every single skill, every single experience, every single educational background. And I think maybe that's kind of the secret to running you know, such a large and really, at least, you know, I'm sort of biased, but well-organized team, you know, that completes his task and everyone feels, you know, they're contributing to meaningful change. And we also ensure that we're measuring that to as well as see that, yes, it is creating a positive impact and they feel like their work is meaningful. Now, the board of directors, did you have to set one up to register as a nonprofit organization? Was that the motivation behind that? We are not registered as a nonprofit. We're just like an online project. Um, the board of directors was something that we decided to have because, you know, we have like a certain structure and a certain way we envision the project to go. And we needed people to lead based on what we've created. And so having that board of directors was, I think it still is very pivotal to the project. You know, a lot of the members, they're very knowledgeable and what they do. I even learn a lot from them. You know, some of them, they work in the industry. Some of them are students. Some of them have done it before and are retired right now. So, you know, a lot of the things that the team learns and what we learn comes from our board of directors. Priscilla, you said a little while ago, right, that you're constantly updating your list of resources, finding gaps that might exist. Sometimes that comes from a story that's in the news that creates a new problem that needs to be addressed. Can you maybe give me a specific example? Like what was a new, a recent event that took place that led you to having to expand that resource list and uh, and tackle something a little bit different? So first, you know, when we started, we have we had a specific resource category just called Indigenous Communities. And then when we started to have more research periods, we realized this is too vague. Like what exactly are we trying to accomplish? But this, like, who exactly is this for? Is it for allies? Is it for people who actually identify as Indigenous and experience these issues? And so through that, I think, I believe we created two more categories that are more specific. So we created one specifically for reconciliation. Then the next category <laughs> sort of came through, like, the papal visits within Canada. And we realized, you know, there are a lot of different opinions 
about what this visit means to Indigenous communities within Canada. And so we decided to refine a resource category and also include one specific, you know, for mental health for these communities, another one for, I believe, for allyship, activism and action, and make that specific, you know, different BIPOC groups, uh, especially for different events. And then another example I believe I could give would be for health and wellness, like those categories also evolved to include several things. We decided to include one for, you know, like low income and poverty, because that's one of the social determinants of health. We decided to include one for the unhoused population, because that's also another huge factor. But this, we decided to include one for things specifically for women's health, um, just based on recent news, like a lot of our volunteers were actively they were invested in this. And so we had like, even within the resource system, like resource creators that were creating specific resources for each issue and then embedded within this category. So I think those are two examples of how like recent events and also just things that our volunteers are motivated on that impacted how we developed the database. Great. Yeah, I imagine that your, uh, I mean, your volunteers probably have quite an activist bent and when something takes place, they want to tackle it head on and uh, and that sort of thing. So let's take uh, women's health, for example, right? I imagine that the big news was the overturning of Roe versus Wade in the States. A lot of people very motivated to talk about that here in Canada. What does that end up looking like? Do you get a flood of people writing in to the website and say, oh, this is what the people who are coming to Canada Confesses are interested in. Let's you know examine that particular resource. Or is it your volunteers who say, hey, we have to do something about this. And then you go that way. Is it a balance between the two? Like, how does that process take place? So externally and internally, but externally through our social media platforms, specifically Instagram, which has sort of been this hub for a lot of digital activism. So we are constantly growing on our Instagram platform as well as other social media, but mostly Instagram. So our like followers there, if there is an ongoing issue, you know, sometimes we post things and they will comment, yes, this is something we need to act on. But a lot of it mostly also comes from like internal to so our volunteers because they see those things. And you're right, they have, you know, such an, uh, like an advocacy background and they easily like even offer this before we take the leadership position and, you know, give like our say or just address those issues. It always comes from them first before it even gets to us. So that really impacted and we had discussions, especially within the resources team of what they would like to do, even create an entirely separate category um, within that time. And I know the question was just for resources, but I also like to mention how it also impacted like our content team. So. And like, as soon as that happened within the US, we created a series of infographics explaining how it works within Canada and identifying the gaps in each single like province and territory of having access to reproductive care. So that was one way we also kind of bridge between like consent and then resources. Now, it's a little over a year and a half in, you've expanded from two to 62 people uh, in the organization. And a question for both of you, has there been something that really surprised you about the way the this has gone over the course of that year and a half, two years now, where you just never imagined it going in a direction that it did? I say, I guess for me personally, the most surprising part was how many people were actually interested in participating in something like this. Like, you know, we assumed that university students would be like super willing to jump in. 
And, you know, in the end, we found people even as young as like 14, 15, like high school age were taking on leadership positions and they were interested in doing that. And then people who were, you know, in their careers already and busy also had time to volunteer. And I thought that was amazing because, you know, these issues don't just affect one, you know, particular age group, it affects everybody within a community. And so people coming together to work on something, I just thought that was incredible. Yeah, I echo what Nancy just said. It is really incredible for me. Like in addition to that would probably be seeing how the team grew. Like, yes, we had like people take on leadership positions, but it didn't initially like start that way. Like at first we kept it really open, really big. We just needed this help. And here are some, you know, roles that people can take on. So seeing how like, you know, people start and then over time they start to take on, you know, more of a leadership position. They start to open up and share their experiences as well. You know, they attend meetings and there's just this, like, there's just this balance, like wonderful interaction. I see we've all met each other in person. Like I see we're all in one room, but like we're completely in five different provinces in one single call. So that was just incredible, um, definitely. And another thing I wanted to add, at the diversity within the team, again, we didn't put out a call for who should join or what they would look like, but it is interesting to have people from diverse backgrounds and also have a lot of people that, that you know, we were saying how in this December, there are a lot of people moved to act. So seeing how we had the balance of like allies um, that may have not experienced one specific issue or another, but they still wanted to join and help out. And people who actually had a lot of those like deep, you know, painful like lived experiences, like working together to create change. So that was something that surprised me because um, I wasn't really expecting that to begin with. Yeah, and people are sharing, you know, deep and painful experiences on your platform. Does that sometimes get to be a lot for you? You know, having that sort of thing come in and reading it and sort of, you know, knowing that that's something that's going on in Canada, does that, is that a lot? Not say yes and no. So no, because at the start of the project, we like already, you know, had a feeling this would happen. So off the get-go, we ensured to have a lot of mental health resources within team, like while creating the handbook, that was one of the first key things. We have you know, resources for our volunteers, resources if there's like online fatigue, you know, resources for volunteers who actually identify, you know, in with those confessions. So that was built in and we ensured that even ourselves, like Nancy and I, we would have certain checkpoints with each other, like during our work periods to just reflect on those confessions and what it means to us. And another thing we decided to do was have a way that not all of our volunteers are initially exposed to the raw confession. They're only by a certain, um, like a certain group of people who reviewed those. And we decided to work on a system of like reviewing those confessions, you know, before they get published to see how we can have like ensure each individual that sits on that like review board is supported so in a way to protect their mental health um, as well as look at the resources so yeah it's for the public but also for us but i mean there will be a point where and that's the yes aspect where even though you have those key things you know like you have like this mental health training you know your psychologist student you kind of know like how those things go it still like touches you because you're human uh, but I don't think it's gotten too much because we do have those safeguards so that we can continue to do the work and not burn out or just stop taking care of ourselves because it's all just too much. So we do try to have, you know, this outlook 
on the confessions and pretty much all of the work we do, not even just with those confessions, um, that ensures that we, we can still continue, carry on and move forward despite, you know, the hurt um, that we all feel. When we first started getting confessions, you know, when it was just Priscilla and I, I was like, okay, we're a little bit prepared for this. We have like our mental health resources. It'll be okay. And then once we started getting volunteers, that's when I started becoming a little bit more worried about it because, you know, the people who volunteer with us, they volunteer to do this. And, you know, we just had to create a whole bunch of things to safeguard everyone who are is going to be reading it and who's going to be interacting with it behind the scenes. And so having all of that just made it a little bit more comforting in the whole process. Have the two of you put your own confessions up on this site? I, were you the first two to, to put one up there? I don't know if Nancy has because it's completely anonymous. So I wouldn't know if a confession oh. was from her. But I know I personally haven't yet. I was like, oh, okay, we'll see. Let's get a confession from other people first. But I have thought about it. And it's almost been like uh, like an inside joke between us when we, you know, like share experiences. We're like, oh, I just experienced this at work. And we're like, submit a confession about it <laughs> um, just to share like within our platform. So it is embedded within the entire team. Um, so I don't know if Dante has because of the, the anonymous aspect, but um, I certainly have it, not yet. I've certainly submitted a confession. You'll never know which one it is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah. <Wow. laughs> it's sort of a pandemic thing, right? To do this virtually, uh, it exists online. It's coming at a time when the pandemic, one, forces everybody to live online for in a lot of ways, right? Share online, but has also increased incidents of racism, it has increased uh, awareness of these incidents. But, you know, for some people, we're more aware than we were before. For others, we're more racist than we were before, which is kind of a weird situation, I think, to be in for this. Where do you envision it going in the next year versus maybe the next five years? Presumably, and we're guessing five years from now, there's no more pandemic and you might be able to do some things in person at that time. Uh, but a year from now, it's still in living in this space uh, online where this looks like it's going to be extremely relevant for years and years and years to come. So the first way I see it moving, it already actually started um, within our projects and what I'm starting to see from you know, like in the community and Canada as a whole, is as Canada Confesses grows, we are starting to have more in-person opportunities. So yes, you know, we're completely virtual, our team is, but in the last survey we had for all of our volunteers, there was such a strong tool to start to have a lot of these conversations offline, based, you know, the resources are, you know, online accessible, anyone can reach them, the content, infographics also there, but, you know, start to apply distance, um, especially as in our school, we transition to in-person. A lot of workplaces are becoming more in-person. There's still virtual work, of course, but generally things are, you know, starting to be more in-person. People feel more safe doing that. So we decided to also transition um, and accommodate this setting. So we've had some already volunteer opportunities within high schools where we engage, you know, uh, youth with these topics and not just in Alberta, we actually are having another in Vancouver, BC for our other set of volunteers right there, which is so exciting. Another aspect is with um, actually government 
representative, so this is quite new to us, and we are extremely excited to begin this conversation and hopefully start to affect policy changing, uh, policy making rather, um, and create meaningful changes. So that's also currently happening as well, and also not just within Alberta, within Edmonton, we also see within other provinces as well, and our team is being involved and engaged not just the two of us, which is absolutely awesome. And then the next step is institutions. And I know Nancy will talk more about this. So I'll pass it to her to talk about like our partnerships and as well as like what we see in general, like can confesses in five years. Okay, yeah, thank you, Priscilla. So just like to echo what you said about the in-person activities, you know, the training for these things, they never stop. You know, just recently, Priscilla and I, we went on a trip with the Alberta Council for Global Cooperation. Uh, they had a Global Connect program. And at the end of May, beginning of June, we took a tour of Alberta to go visit organizations and other individuals who are doing kind of social justice, social enterprise kind of movements. And so we got to talk with them. We got to talk with the other youth, see what they're doing. That was also very exciting for us. And, you know, we hope that in the future we'll have more opportunities just to learn more. That's the most important part of this project is just learning as the information comes and goes. Um, as Priscilla was saying too about the uh, post-secondary institutions, a lot of them in Canada have a type of placement program or a type of learning program where students are able to volunteer or engage with other organizations in their communities just to learn a specific skill or to showcase a skill that they learned in a specific class. Um, we just finished one with McEwen University here in Edmonton, Alberta, where we had two youth uh, engage with us in their experiential learning program, and they were able to help us remodel our confession uh, model, and they were able to even learn some of the things that we have within our organization. And in the future, we hope to partner more with universities and see what kind of things we can learn and what type of things that we can gain from other students. In the fall, we hope to work with the University of Alberta. Um, we hope to work with some students who will be interested in content, who will be interested in organizational management, just kind of topics like that, just to get more into the education side of it and the logistics. What is more nerve wracking? meeting with a decision maker politician type or meeting with a room full of high school students? <laughs> um, high school students. High schoolers. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a couple of talks to rooms full of high school students over the course of this pandemic virtually, and it is the most nerve wracking thing that I can it think is. of. <laughs> Uh, I will just say right now, thank you guys both so much, first of all, for doing this in the first place. I think it's awesome. And for taking the time to speak with me today about it uh, in the last minute, if there's anything that you want people to know that we haven't touched on yet uh, that I can put in the show notes, uh, maybe the volunteer positions that you're specifically looking for right now, uh, hit me with that. Thank you so much for having us. Visit our website, visit our socials. If you see a position that you're interested in, feel free to apply using Volunteer Connect or filling out our Google form. Um, otherwise, feel free to check out our resources in our database and volunteer if you see something interesting or something that you're passionate about. Thank you to Priscilla and Nancy for taking the time to speak with me here today. And thanks to you at home for listening, streaming, or downloading today's episode. We'll be back with a new episode next week, and I look forward to speaking with you then. For more details on Canada Confesses and opportunities to become involved in the effort, check out the show notes for today's episode. Mindful is written, hosted, and published by me, Eric Bullman. 
Our producer is Jamie Montgomery, and our theme music is Avenues by David Taylor. 